Allison on episode three of Elder Home Buyers. And today we have a special guest from the Alzheimer's Association at the Capitol of Texas chapter, Andrea Torrance. She is the executive director and oversees operations, programming, and fundraising. She has 20 years experience in nonprofit, but I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about her history in the nonprofit sector. Sure. Thank you for having me, Allison. Excited to be here. Um, as you said, I, I've worked in the nonprofit um, world for about 20 years now. I worked with the American Cancer Society before and have um, volunteered and worked on boards of a variety of other nonprofit organizations and community groups and live here in Austin with my husband, my two dogs, and my daughter. So. Oh, fun. Austin's such a fun place to live. Yep. And the Alzheimer's Association is such a great organization to work for. And I want to start by talking a little bit about Alzheimer's and dementia, the different terminology that people may not be familiar with. So a lot of times people use Alzheimer's and dementia like interchangeably. Um, but recently, I've noticed that there's a new um, term called mild cognitive impairment. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure, sure. Um, dementia is really a, a very general term, and it really describes um, just uh, the mental ability. Um, so Alzheimer's is a cause of dementia. So um, that's the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's. There are a number of different diseases that can cause dementia. So that um, that mental ability being affected um, is what dementia is. So that's that's kind of the difference. Alzheimer's is a disease. Uh -huh. Dementia is more like a symptom. Oh, okay. Um, and so, as you said, those are often used interchangeably, but there are a number of other types of diseases that can cause dementia. There's can be vascular related dementia. There can be Parkinson's disease related dementia, something called Lewy body dementia. So there's a number of other things. So Alzheimer's is the most common cause of dementia though. Oh. And, and mild cognitive impairment is something that um, as people age, they may experience mild cognitive impairment, meaning that their cognition may be impaired um, in some ways, but that doesn't always necessarily lead to Alzheimer's. It's something that many people experience. It may or may not lead to Alzheimer's. What is so interesting is that 80%, it says 80% on your website that are not familiar with MCI, mm -hmm. but it also can be a sign of early um, stage um, Alzheimer's uh, and that there's different types. So one was um, non-amnestic MCI and one was amnestic. So one is like basically affects memory and one is about completing complex tasks. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me that what is affecting like mild cognitive impairments? Like y'all, the Alzheimer's Association worked with the National Institution of Aging mm -hmm. to come up with the new diagnostic criteria, which is amazing that y'all were able to do that. So what kind of things do they use to diagnose, uh, diagnose this? Sure. Well, we really talk about um, 10 common warning signs. Um, and mild cognitive impairment can um, 
also show some of these same warning signs. And so if someone has what we call MCI, mild cognitive impairment, like you said, that may be an indicator that they may develop Alzheimer's. Um, some of the other types of warning signs that um, people may see that show that Alzheimer's may be present is things like memory loss is just probably the one that most people are familiar with. You know, as you age, you know, there's a difference between Alzheimer's and just your typical aging. You know, as you get older, certain things will happen. But memory loss is one of those things that is often a first sign for people to think, hmm, I wonder if there's something else going on here. But that's one sign. Um, and everybody's going to forget things sometimes. Um, but if they forget and um, appointments or names and they can't get those back, um, that may be an indicator that Alzheimer's, there may need to be a little bit more done to see if there are other signs. Things also like, are they having a hard time um, just with regular tasks that they do? You know, they go to the grocery store or they're going to doctor's appointments, driving, those kinds of things but then they suddenly can't remember how to get to the grocery store. Um, they suddenly can't remember how to turn the oven on and do some basic cooking tasks. Yeah. You know, if, if your say mom or grandparent can't remember how to, you know, set the DVR to record their favorite show and they have to ask you that every once in a while. Okay. But if, they can't remember how to get to the grocery store, that might be something that you want to have a little closer look at. Some of these MCI things, um, mild impairment in their cognition may be cause for concern or it may, it may just be part of normal aging. That's where it comes into play to talk to your doctor. It's, uh, you know, if you have concerns about that, it's always a good idea to go get checked out by your doctor because then they can check for things like... Um, certain levels of proteins that can be an indicator for sure. future um, Alzheimer's and detections so that maybe you can find a new research or medications that could help that are available out there. So that would be a good idea if you start to recognize problems. I know it's easy to get concerned. We all have concerns. People give you a hard time when Oh, you can't find your keys, which my son gives me a hard time all right. the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Misplacing things in our busy lives. Um, but if you have real concerns, it's always a good a good idea to go get checked out, you know, early than waiting until there's real problems. So Absolutely. let's go on to Alzheimer's. Um, there's three stages of the disease. There's mild, middle, and late. So tell us about a little bit about the difference of what we've talked about and the mild stage of when we kind of know that it's going, you have a patient would be diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Sure. And, you know, I think when you start to notice some of those warning signs, like the memory that I mentioned, the not being able to do regular tasks, behavioral changes, some of those types of things, if you notice a number of those, that's when you're going to want to go see your doctor. And it may be you yourself noticing them and yourself or it may be a family member noticing that. What will happen is that when you go to the doctor, the doctor can do some cognition testing um, to determine, is this something that we need to further explore or is this standard aging? And they may do that over a period of time. And there are some diagnostic tests, like you said, to look for certain things possibly in the brain. Alzheimer's isn't an easily diagnosed disease. Um, and so 
it's through that testing. And that's when they're going to start to look at, has someone entered into the mild stage of Alzheimer's? And as you said, there's really three stages. You might hear more stages and different things in the way it's described, but three key stages, early, I mean, mild, and then um, early, middle, and then late stage, sorry. And that early stage, someone can pretty much live their normal life. They might just be noticing a you know, a few things, having a hard time remembering things, um, remembering people's names, um, you know, coming up with that right word. Like, I just can't come up with that right word. It's right on the tip of my tongue, you might hear. That's going to be your early stage. You know, they're starting to exhibit um, those cognition issues and the impairments. Um, the reason it's important to see your doctor and get diagnosed early is because while there's no direct treatment for Alzheimer's at this time. There are treatments for the symptoms and there are some new medications that have kind of are on the, in the pipeline and have been recently approved that are for that early stage that, you know, of Alzheimer's. And so there may be some treatments for that to delay the progression. There's not a cure, but there are things um, now to delay that progression because Alzheimer's can be something that affects someone for two years or 20 years. That's what's so exciting about the more information we get out and more aware people are, the more research progresses. And we find new medications to help people and help push um, those cures that we could possibly stop it or prevent it, or you never know what's going to happen in the next 10, 20 years. Right. So it's, it's very exciting what's coming down the pipeline, as you say. So also in the first stage, I wanted to touch on, this is when people are still going to notice symptoms, but still be cognitive enough to address issues that are important for families and caregivers to address. Yes. And they may start to be kind of concerned, but not ready to address those issues. Like, okay, well, what does the parent or family member want to do yes. with their estate or how do they want to their caregiving um, to be addressed as they progress and these are important questions to ask while they're still able to answer those yes. questions so you know setting up a power of attorney so that when they can't take care of themselves there is a family member or person that can be responsible for their finances and their home and those important decision, medical decisions yes. that need to be made. So really identifying the early stage can be important for caregivers and family members. Absolutely. I think that you hit the nail on the head. You know, I think during that early stage, the person that's been diagnosed can often still actively take part in, yeah. in that. So those financial and those legal issues that may become something that can be a real challenge later, that person can still take part in that. They can still talk about um, what their wishes are as they progress. You know, where would they like to live? How would they like things to be managed and set power of attorney and things along those lines. So that it's really important to have those conversations. Yeah. Um, the Alzheimer's Association has resources to help um, people have those conversations and yeah. tools to help them recognize what do we really need to talk about right now? Because as someone progresses through the disease, their um, cognitive abilities obviously become 
affected. And so they're not able to express themselves um, and may have difficulties in communicating. And in late stage, they may not be able to communicate at all. And by then, they're not able to take an active part. So then often families and caregivers find themselves in a difficult situation of, I wish I had I knew what they wanted, um, rather than having to feel like they're having to make all the decisions themselves. So what can a family member expect in the middle stage? The middle stage is when they're going to um, really start to exhibit more impairment. Um, And this is often the stage that lasts the longest. It can last for years. And um, they are going to possibly become less able to take care of themselves. So, you know, they could become, it could become challenging for them to dress themselves. It could be, um, they aren't able to go to the store on their own anymore. They're gonna need more supervision. Um, So more memory impairment, more communication challenges. They may have other health issues, even challenges going to the restroom on their own during that middle stage. And so that's really where the caregiving kind of ramps up even more and the caregiver is um, even more impacted because like I said, safety can become an issue during that middle stage. Wandering, um, getting lost if they're just taking a walk around the block. Um, So that's something that you have to keep an eye out. So it's just a more progressed disease, more impairment. So what advice would you give to a caregiver who's entering the middle stage? I think one of the things that I would say to caregivers is um, you need to take care of yourself, too. Um, That's something that we at the association talk a lot about and the need to care, the caregiver caring for themselves in order to best care for the people that they love. So that's one thing I would say to caregivers, because this is really the stage when caregiving can become more difficult. But also take advantage of the resources out there to help you determine how best to move forward with your with your loved one. How can you communicate with them? Communication become really tricky. Um, behavioral changes, things like that. So preparing themselves for what to expect and how to manage through that situation. Um, we at the association have a lot of resources to help people during that time and understand what to expect and how to how to talk with that person, how to help that person and support them in the best possible ways. Yeah, you can start to feel alone and stressed and families are dealing with their own lives and their own kids and crazy schedules and just everyday demands. And it can be hard to be that caregiver. And, you know, us as women and moms, like we just feel a lot of demands and we always put ourselves last. So, of course, we can get run down definitely caring for our a parent or a family member. And so, yes, taking care of yourself is should be a priority and reaching out to resources and support groups and knowing that you're not alone is, is very important. That's a good point. And I, I want to know in the middle stage, when is a good time? Like what signs or when should you start to look for other um, community services that's like a great long-term question. care. That's a great question. And um, this is probably the time where you may need to start exploring that. Because like I said, it's not uncommon for someone in the middle stage to need 24-hour supervision. So it's difficult to know when 
is is there a memory care facility that we may need to explore? Um, so it's about asking yourself those questions. There's not a one size fits all, right? It yeah. just depends on the individual. It depends on the situation. So I think the things that should be considered is think about the safety. Is the person with the disease safe? Are there types of supervision that are needed that you can't provide? Um, health. How is the overall health of that person with the disease? Are there other care needs? Because there's often comorbidities that go along with Alzheimer's. Um, Care. Can you provide that level of care that they need? Do they need help bathing? Do they need help dressing? Do they need help going to the restroom? Are you able to do that? And also just social engagement, which is so important for someone with Alzheimer's. Um, are they really getting the social engagement that could benefit them during this time in the disease? Um, ask yourself those questions if, you know, and then again, talk to the doctor, you know, and, and get some guidance from the physician um, and the care, you know, the care provider. And then you can decide, are we at a place where maybe assisted living would be most beneficial for this person? Is memory care needed? Because in the late stage, Often memory care is needed or in-home, 24-hour in-home care um, is often needed for the person with Alzheimer's because everything is ultimately affected. Their movements, their communication, and and so that's very often needed in the late stages. There is a lot of options out there for care and I see a lot of families when they're looking at the long-term care or um, community living that there's a lot of guilt that, you know, a lot of hard feelings, you know, because you grow up, our parents and my grandmother grew up, you know, seeing that long-term care was not as fantastic as it can be now. They're sure. very wonderful facilities who offer so many wonderful things um, to people who need extra care. Sure. And that is hard to offer at home, especially if safety is a concern. And so what would you how to support or encourage or help those families get through those difficult feelings. Sure. And that's why I, I mentioned earlier, during those earlier stages, having those kinds of conversations can make that late, those later decisions not necessarily easier, but people to feel more comfortable having to make those decisions because their loved one was a part of it. Um, and you know, there's a, there is a stigma that goes along with senior care and even Alzheimer's and some of those things go and visit these places together, go and to where you can see the incredible care that many of these senior care facilities are providing and they can help that person be engaged and exercise their brain more, which can maybe help in the progression of the disease, getting to know, screening them yourself. And seeing to where you know you're going to get great care because you've seen it firsthand and become familiar with that. Also, again, I know I've said, but call the Alzheimer's Association. We have um, trained staff 24 hours a day, seven days a week that can help talk to you about what to look for in a senior care facility or is home care an option for them? And what does that look like? And what are the costs associated with that? Um, to where you're able to feel more comfortable with your decision because you're better informed. And so it's not quite as scary. Yes, that is a a great point. Um, Y'all provide all these sources um, to talk about it and to know other people who've gone through it, which is a great support system. And the 
another thing is the cost. What can people expect as far as cost of caregiving in like home versus um, senior community and as the stages progress? Gosh, that's that's a one size doesn't fit all as well. Yeah. I mean, there's there is a huge variation in in cost. Um, you know, in home care would be, you know, some people hire someone that they know that may just live with them as a as a provider. Others work with home health agencies, um, so the cost there could be significantly different. Um, just depending on the facility and and the level of care that someone needs, the the cost could vary greatly. Um, as far as insurance paying versus not paying, um, it also just depends on the insurance that they may have and what the need is. So that's something that we can provide more details about um, at our toll-free number, our helpline. We can pro provide more details on Medicaid and how Medicaid pays out and what that looks like. And also, um, Potentially, I would suggest calling a couple of the places that that are possibilities in the area where people live, and they're more than happy to talk. I did this with my parents not long ago and just called multiple facilities, and, and they were able to give me an estimate of cost um, and how insurance could work with that. Um, it varies so greatly. I, I, I don't think I could even give an actual number. I think it would be um, just calling and reaching out. Yes, the family, depending on if they're using Medicaid, the facility, mm -hmm. if they're only private pay, your exactly. different insurance. So doing your research and reaching out to somebody who can help you kind of navigate those those issues in your specific um, situation sure. would be ideal. So finding the right care that's for your family member, working out the finances, all of this can be done, you know, through some of your resources. Sure. And... Um, tell me, let's go on to the late stage. Sure. So what can be expected during the late stage? Late stage is really at that point, someone needs around the clock care, not just supervision, but care often. Um, they, they may completely lose awareness of their surroundings. Um, it, it may be that they don't recognize anyone, um, in their family any longer. Um, and they really could have a lot of difficulty communicating. But, you know, even in the late stage, a family member can still go and sit with the person that they love and spend that time with them. Listen to music that they know, you know, that you know that they used to enjoy. And um, they may not know who you are anymore, but that interaction um, is, is beneficial nonetheless. So the late stages really, they become especially vulnerable to other things because by that time, so much of the brain has been affected and um, that basic fu bodily functions have been affected. They may not even be able to walk any longer. They may not be able to talk at all, um, but still interacting with them and being there for them, loving them, you know. How long does the late stage do you see usually last? The late stage often doesn't last as long because by the time they get there, um, it's affecting you know, how the body is staying, keeping itself alive. Yeah. Um, and so the late stage often doesn't last as long simply because eventually the, the breathing is affected. The heart can be affected. All of those things can be affected um, and which can ultimately lead to, to their death. 
Well, this has been so informative and I know there is so much more information when I was going through the website. There was just a ton of resources and information to read and I wish we could spend more time, but I want to touch on one more thing and your chapter. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things you offer and um, some of the events and things that you have here in our area? Sure. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we do have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week helpline. That's 800-272-3900. Anytime, you're going to get a live person on the phone to talk through. We have licensed and trained um, staff to help, you know, do some care consultations and just resource referral and, you know, answering questions. Um, We also have our website, which is alz.org, that you can go to anytime. Our chapter also offers um, a catalog of education programs for caregivers and just the public in general about Alzheimer's, about brain health, as well as caregiver um, education, as well as support groups. Um, And so you can call that 800 number and we're happy to um, send a calendar. And on the website, you can find, you know, when those are are happening as well. Um, And we have online... Um, through our website, support communities um, for those who don't maybe feel comfortable talking to others, you know, in a support group or on the phone, they can always go online and find a community of support there. We also have a walk to end Alzheimer's that we do here in Austin, as well as we have one up in Round Rock that will be happening this fall. And that's just a chance to get together to support the fight against Alzheimer's and dementia, as well as, you know, surround yourself with people who, unfortunately, you know, are experiencing the same thing and find that support through that community, Um, create more awareness there. And next week on the 21st is what we call the longest day, which is another fundraising activity we do where people raise funds. Um, It's the summer solstice, so it's the longest day of the year. Um, and we'll be doing lots of activities. Um, you can visit our Facebook page and Twitter page and Instagram page um, and find out more. Excellent. Well, it seems like there's so many resources available, and we hope that everyone who is affected, because we almost always know somebody or have a family member somewhere Um, that has been impacted by Alzheimer's. And we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and information and what's available here to our community. And we look forward to seeing you again in the future. Well, thank you for having me and, uh, you know, help raise awareness about what's out there to help. And if anyone would like to get involved with the organization and learn more, please don't hesitate to reach out to that 800 number and we're happy to get back to you. Thank you so much. You can find our episodes at elderhomebuyers.com and more information about our local Alzheimer's Association. Thank you so much. Thank you.